0: folks. Thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate you coming on this warm, warm Wednesday night. Everybody grab your hymnbook, stand to your feet. Let's get ready to sing together. Brother Ken will come lead us on this warm, toasty Wednesday evening. Brother Ken. Page 194
1: in your blue songbook tonight. Page 194. Since Jesus came into my heart, we'll do the first, second, and last verse. Hymn 194 tonight.
0: Comes in our heart. Amen. Good to see you on this Wednesday night. I was telling them I'm at work. I think they thought they appreciated it. I'm not sure that I gave up this kind of weather when I became a Christian. Some of you will get that on the way home tonight, but thank you for being here. Let me give you some quick prayer requests tonight. Uh, Continue to pray for Sister Wendy. Uh, She's home, had an emergency appendectomy yesterday. I got tickled with her. I went to see her early this morning before work. I said, Wendy, what precipitated this? Why did you end up here? She said, I thought it was bad coffee. I said, you know, when bad coffee causes you to have to have your appendix out, that's some bad coffee. Uh, But pray for her. She's doing well and uh, uh, still has a ways to recover. Also pray for Brother Co; Some real special needs there. Uh, I was chatting with him. Lord knows about it, but pray for him health-wise and some other things that he's dealing with. I know he would appreciate that. Special request tonight on my left that you'd like to share publicly this evening. Special outspoken request. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Thank you, Sister Peck. Someone else on my left, special request. Josh? Amen. Absolutely. Remember, Teen Conference, nearly 2,000 teenagers uh, are registered for next week's conference. And you know, we can turn the world upside down with 2,000 young folks engaged and on fire for the Lord. So you pray about that. Somebody else on my left tonight. Yes, Sister? Amen. Well said. Amen. I appreciate that so much and you thinking about them. Someone else on my left want to share an outspoken request. In the middle tonight, want to share an outspoken request. Yes, sir. Yes, thank you, buddy. Continue to pray for Bethany. She continues to have complications and problems from where she had her tonsils removed. They had her back in the ER a couple of days ago. So pray for Bethany. Thank you for mentioning that, brother. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Where, where is the daughter? Wilmington. All right. And Woody was sharing with me tonight that uh, Sister River Smith is back in the hospital, Martinsville Hospital, brother, you think, uh, for diverticulitis. So pray for Sister River Smith, if you would. Someone else in the middle tonight. We'll go front to back. Yes, Brother Gerald. All right. Thank you so much. Brother Biggs. Amen, buddy. Always. Thank you, sir. I saw some other hands go up. Yes, Sister Helbert. Goodness. All right. Remember that one. Thank you so much. Is your aunt here locally, Sister Helbert? Okay, all right. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Mm -mm. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate that. Getting old is no fun, is it? Amen. Somebody else in the middle tonight want to share? Chester. Amen. Absolutely. Appreciate that. On my right tonight, an outspoken, Sister Irma. Amen. Amen, sister. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Leadership matters. It all rises and falls on leadership. Yes, sir. Which one, Charlie? Which? Marie. All right. Remember Marie. Thank you, Charlie. Somebody else on my right. Miss Pam. All right, certainly. Yes, sir. Absolutely, son, absolutely. Yes, ma'am. All right, let's remember that one. Thank you, sister. Yes, sir. Amen. Thank you, buddy. Salvation's the m- most important part of that request. Physical healing, but spiritual healing. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Miss Nadine. Oh my goodness. All right. Thank you, Nadine. And that was Bonnie Winningham. You said. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for these folks. Appreciate you sharing your outspoken request tonight. Un- yes. All right, thank you for that. In fact, he has left a message on the voicemail back here as well, and I have not listened to that. I just noticed it before church, so thank you. All right, any unspoken request tonight you want to share with an uplifted hand? We're going to pray together, uh, and we're going to ask the Lord to just meet all of these needs. Father, it is with humble hearts, Lord, and, and, and confident hearts about your ability to answer prayer that we come to you tonight. Lord, sometimes the burdens get heavy, but we also recognize that there is a throne room of grace that's open. Where Hebrews tells us that we can come mercy, we can come boldly and find mercy and grace to help in a time of need. So, Lord, we're going to do that just now. We're going to bring each one of these prayer requests to you tonight. Lord, uh, many are personal, some are private, some were outspoken, some were unspoken. But, Lord, I'm glad that you hear each one. And, Lord, when we lay them at your feet, they are exactly where they need to be. Lord, I'll pause a moment and ask a special touch for those that are seeking the salvation of loved ones. Lord, we're going to ask that you convict those hearts especially. Draw them to yourself uh, so that man may be saved before it is too late. Lord, for our upcoming teen conference, we're asking that you prepare our hearts to be ready for what you have in store. And, Lord, we're looking for you to do great works next week, not just with our young folks, uh, but the nearly 2,000 that will be gathered together there in Gatlinburg. Lord, I pray for our services tonight as we continue this extremely important series. Lord, may you open it up, illuminate it, so that we'll walk out of here tonight equipped to to battle uh, the enemy and his tactics. Lord, we love you. Most of all, we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's remain standing. We'll have a song. Brother Ken.
1: Before we sing tonight, i got a couple announcements. Uh, one concerning the golf tournament, like um, for all those that can help, we're going to be helping out on Saturday, especially the teens and the parents. We're going to meet here about 1030 to pack up the things we need to take over there with us. To get, so we'll set up for the food and all that stuff. But if you could, meet here at 10.30. We'll pack up some chairs and tables. Most of you may, may know it, may not know it, but today is our pastor's birthday. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm not going to ask him how old he is. <laughs> well, we're going to sing happy birthday to him. Then we'll have a time of fellowship. But uh, if you get an opportunity today, come up and hug his neck, tell him happy birthday. Then Sunday night, we're going to have a little uh, get-together uh, celebration here uh, after the services on Sunday night. With uh, some ice cream, some sandwiches, and that th- stuff. And I hope you don't get me. I know he's on a diet and things, but we can have ice cream anytime. <laughs> I'll bring
2: sherbet for you. <laughs> I like sherbet anyway. Happy birthday! Happy birthday.
1: Page 215, 215 in your songbook. Heaven came down, glory filled my soul. We'll do the first verse in course. I have a time of fellowship, page 215.
2: At but...
0: Thank you so much and your kind words. I am thirty-one years old and weigh one hundred and sixty-five pounds. God's good, Amen. I'm not sure which one you believe the least, Amen. <laughs> All right, uh, fellas, make your way down tonight. Congregation, please turn with us tonight. First Kings chapter eighteen. If you have not worshipped the Lord with tithes and offerings, we'll let you do that now and uh, be obedient to give weekly and uh, God will bless you for it. First Kings 18 tonight is where we'll launch off this evening. Father, bless the offering. May it be what you'd have it to be. Thank you for those who are so faithful to support the work of this church with their finances as you've commanded us to do. Bless our Bible study time now in Christ's name. Amen. so much. Appreciate that. One more quick announcement. I'm going to put this as well as the other information on the call system that we'll send out later in the week. Regarding Saturday's golf tournament, ladies, we are also looking for some desserts for Saturday and preferably things that are hand-holdable rather than something that has to be cut and served. If you can cupcakes, brownies, things like that that are easy to serve, then we can do quickly for those that participate. And thank you for your help. As as you well know, all of the proceeds for Saturday's tournament go to uh, help these young folks and their costs associated with conference. First Kings tonight, chapter number 18. We have been looking this summer, and we'll continue for the rest of the summer, Lord willing, all about battling spiritual discouragement. Battling, conquering, navigating through spiritual discouragement. I have said over and over, and you will hear me say over and over, this is everybody's battleground. There is nobody in the building. And frankly, no one who names the name of Christ that does not battle spiritual discouragement. I want you to understand tonight. Listen to what I'm about to say. Getting discouraged is not a sin. Staying discouraged is. Getting discouraged is not a sin. But staying that way can lead us into some dangerous places. We looked to a few weeks ago at a New Testament passage. We looked a couple of weeks ago at an Old Testament passage. And we're going to be looking now for the next few weeks at the individual in Scripture that I think is the archetype or the best example of someone who climbs to the highest heights and then plummets into the lowest depths of despair. We're going to look tonight and the next few weeks At this character that we call Elijah. There is no one in Scripture who is more a study in contradictions than this character. As you'll see as we go through this uh, the next few weeks looking at this singular episode, this singular chapter, Elijah has a literal and spiritual mountain-top experience which is quickly followed by an absolute plunge into the depths of despair. I am not someone who likes or enjoys judging historical characters through the modern-day lens, but I'm going to make a statement. This is Gregology, although there are plenty of scholars who would back me up on this. If Elijah were alive today, number one, he wouldn't be invited into too many pulpits. (laughs) And number two, I think Elijah would probably be classified as someone who displays great characteristics of bipolar disorder. Someone who is exuberant and at the absolute zenith of excitement and then with the flip of a coin plunges into the depths of despair. Now, by all accounts... There are things, uh, tragedies, difficulties that Elijah goes through. But I'm going to be blunt. If he were a modern-day preacher, he'd probably one of the first ones at the handout for some of the medicines that are so necessary for this thing we call bipolar disorder. But Elijah is dealing with things that most of us never deal with. He's facing obstacles. Uh, that most of us never face. Let me put it in context for you historically. This is one of the worst time periods in Israel's history. You know the story over and over. Read it in the book of Judges yourself over and over. Israel turns their back on God, uh, finds themselves nationally in a time of spiritual despair, calls on God, God raises up somebody, the nation comes back to God, a time of well-being, and the cycle repeats over and over and over. And where we are in 1 Kings is one of the wickedest and worst times in all of biblical history. To make it worse... There are two of the wickedest, most ungodly leaders on the throne of Israel that ever breathed a breath. The wicked Ahab and his horrible queen named Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel. Two rulers who blatantly and openly turned the nation of Israel away from God. To the point uh, where we'll find out when we look at next week or in a couple of weeks, uh, we'll find out that there's only about 7,000 people left in the entire nation who follow God. Put that in perspective. Imagine in a nation of 300 million like we have in America, if we only had 7,000 believers, that's less than 1% church. It would be extremely challenging to walk around and name the name of Christ. That's the context that Ahab was operating in. For Elijah, the event that we're going to look at tonight, and we'll look at it for a couple of weeks, is his ascent, if you will, to the height of spiritual excitement. In fact, I have entitled tonight's message, The Mountaintop Challenge. The Mountaintop Challenge. Because you're going to see how this process of this incredible mountaintop experience, both literally and spiritually, uh, is where uh, uh, Elijah has his greatest spiritual victory. You've heard me say this so many times, but please listen to what I'm about to say. When things are going well, when you have a spiritual mountaintop moment, look out. There's a radar on your back, and it's a big old bullseye. When you've got a spiritual mountaintop moment, look out, because your enemy knows he cannot have your soul, he cannot have your salvation, but he's going to do everything he can to rob you of the joy of your salvation. And you're going to see tonight how the seeds of what will become Elijah's plummet are actually planted in this mountaintop experience. So, most of you know the story. We will not go back and take a look at 17, but if you go back and look at chapter 17, you quickly find that Elijah and Ahab have a meeting. And Elijah says, because of your wickedness, O king, it's not going to rain for three years. We fast forward now for three years later. Guess what? It hadn't rained a drop. Three years No water, no rain, dry drought. We complain about drought when we go for a couple of weeks without water. Imagine three years with no rain. This is catastrophic drought. This is hunger-inducing drought. This is famine kind of drought. And three years later, Ahab and Elijah are about to meet again for the first time. In three years, there are three groups or three entities tonight that we're going to look at that Elijah directly challenges on his way up to this mountaintop experience. The first one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. We're going to get into the word. Number one, Elijah challenges the potentate. That's a big fancy word for king. Why did I not call it king? Because my other two points begin with P and I like to alliterate my outline. Amen. Elijah challenges the potentate or the king. Look with me if you would, please. Beginning in chapter number 18, let's go back to verse 16 and notice what it says. Uh, uh, 1 Kings 18, I think I said Elijah 18. 1 Kings 18, beginning in verse 16. Obadiah went to meet Ahab, told him. Here's where we pick up. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. Notice verse 17. And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? I'm calling verse 17 the confrontation. The confrontation. This is the first time these men have encountered each other in three years. The last time they encountered each other, very few words were spoken. Ahab stares at Elijah and Elijah says, because of you it's not going to rain in three years, I'm out of here. And he leaves. He's gone through all kinds of things during the three years. So many things. He's been fed by the brook Cherith. He's been uh, uh, resurrected, uh, the widow's son. All these wonderful things have happened to Elijah during the course of three years. uh, But there's been no rain, there's been famine, there's been death, uh, there's been pestilence. uh, And when the king looks at Elijah, he says, I'm paraphrasing, are you the snake in the grass? Are you the one that's troubling Israel? Interestingly. That word troubling means someone who stirs up something or causes a disturbance. Or another idea might be literally a snake in the grass. So, so what Elijah is being told by Ahab, are you the one that's causing all these problems? What? Listen now, please amen me on this. What Ahab doesn't realize is that Elijah, because he's the man of God, is that country's best friend. Listen carefully. Because this series that we're going through this summer is all about spiritual discouragement. Navigating our way through it. Working our way through it. Let me pause a moment and say, it's not something that you're going to do like that. It's going to take work. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. All of my illustrations and every application is going to be about spiritual discouragement. When people begin to get discouraged or upset they often do not want to hear what the Bible says. That doesn't mean they don't need to hear it. When people get discouraged or upset and they begin to cave inward, they do not want to hear what Scripture says. Listen what I'm about to say. The person who tells you the truth is not your enemy. The person who tells you what thus saith the Lord is in fact your best friend, and the person who tells you what your flesh wants to hear is not your friend. We oftentimes, when we go down this road of spiritual discouragement, we want somebody to tell us uh, that it's okay to be discouraged. It's not okay. Uh, Yes, we get discouraged, uh, but honey, we can't stay that way. The confrontation. Go to verse 18. Notice the condemnation found in verse 18. And he, the he there is Elijah, answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Elijah's brilliant response is to look Ahab square in the face and say, Listen, buck, this is not my problem. This is not my fault. It's yours. I didn't rain judgment down upon Israel. You did. The drought, he says, is not my fault. It's your fault. Why? Because Ahab and his forefathers... And that ungodly, wicked woman he was married to, Jezebel. There's a reason why mamas don't name their babies Jezebel. Amen. You know, you name all kinds of girls by the Bible names, but honey, you don't find too many women who go, Look at my pretty little girl, we named her Jezebel. It don't happen. She was one, she is probably goes down in biblical history as one of, if not the wickedest of women that ever ruled and certainly whoever breathed a breath. Listen to what I'm about to say. Because when Ahab followed the way of his fathers, his forefathers, and allowed Jezebel to continue to influence him in that direction, he led the people away from God and further and further into the worship of the false god Baal. Can I pause a moment and ask a simple question? For all of us, all of us, this is the Wednesday night crowd. This is the backbone of the church. I thank God that we'll have a church full on Sunday. Praise the Lord for that. But you understand the work of the church usually gets done by the Wednesday night crowd. So listen carefully to what I'm about to say. God's people, please don't forget that there is a price on sin. There is a price to pay for sin. When we make the wrong choices sinfully, why are we surprised when God chastens us? Wait a minute, Pastor. I thought this was about spiritual discouragement. Listen, listen real carefully. I have found in my own life, so I'm preaching from experience, some of my discouragement is because of my own fault. Because I knew to do better and did it anyway. or didn't do something that I know I should have done and found myself discouraged. Why? Because God is whooping my honey and end just like He promised He would do. Those whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. So let's not be surprised when we walk away from God and his teachings or when we step into sin and suddenly find ourselves discouraged. That's just God ringing our bell, reminding us to whom we really belong. Verse 17, I said was the confrontation. Verse 18, the condemnation. Now look at verses 19 and 20. I'm calling this the challenge. Notice what Elijah says next. Now, this is Elijah speaking. Now therefore, send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal 450, and the prophets of the groves 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Now, I know you can add up even without taking off your shoes. Look at verse 18. You got 450 prophets mentioned. Excuse me, verse 19. 450 prophets mentioned. Then you got 400 prophets mentioned. Elijah has just thrown down the gauntlet. He's just laid down the challenge. He said, I'm going to take you on. But this is not going to be a one man against one man. It's going to be one man against how many, church? 850. 850. And Elijah, who has witnessed God in the midst of a drought, divinely and miraculously feed him. Elijah who has watched uh, as the ravens came day after day, uh, as the brook Cherith fed him. Uh, He's watched as God miraculously uh, raised this dead boy. Uh, He has watched God do miraculous things over and over and over. uh, And he has wisely realized uh, that if God can do that, then he can sure handle this now. So, I realized something as I was putting this together a couple of weeks ago. Don't know why I never saw it before. But... Elijah and Ahab speak to one another eight times in this passage. Of those two, Elijah and Ahab, who's the king? Who would you expect to be given the orders? Ahab. Guess who gives all the orders? Elijah. The king, who is the one in charge, who is the one who rightfully should be declaring what's what and what's going to happen, comes to Elijah but it's Elijah who gives all the orders why I think Gregology I think uh, that this King Ahab has wisely realized that Elijah is the only way I'm going to shut this drought down he's realized uh, that there is something with this man and Elijah has realized that God's about to do something big I don't know if you've ever been in that experience in your life where you can kind of step back in the middle of the storm and you realize that God is fixing to do something. That's how you can shout in the middle of a storm. It's how you can praise God in the middle of the circumstance because you know that though you're there, you're not there by yourself and God's fixing to show you what he can do. Elijah, Elijah challenges the potentate. Number two, the second group that Elijah challenges. He challenges the people of Israel. He challenges the people of Israel. Now, in verse 21, we'll read it in just a moment. There's a bit of a time gap between 20 and 21. Verse 20, Elijah says, get them all to Mount Carmel. Let's bring it on. Let's throw this thing down. Let's have a battle. Let's have a showdown. People and the prophets, they heed the call. They listen, and they gather themselves together on the top of Mount Carmel. If you look at the tectonic map of the region, you will understand that Carmel is indeed a mountain, but there is a very large mountain top, a flat precipice, if you will, on top of Carmel. It was a place that was worshipped by the gods, those who worship Baal because of its elevation. So not only did Elijah say, I'm going to take you on. He says, I'm going to take you on in your hometown. It's kind of like UVA going to UNC and whooping them when they're at UNC. Look, I had to watch that for his birthday. Amen. Amen. So Elijah... Says, I'm not just going to take you on, but we're going to go on top of Mount Carmel where you do all of your worship and there's where I'm going to whoop you. Now notice what happens in verse 21. I like this because Elijah does not address the prophets of Baal. He addresses the people of God. Look at verse 21. Gives them a question. Elijah came into the people. And said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. This this question that Elijah asks is very telling. Because we always are assuming that the, the, the Israelites have completely turned their back on God. And I'm reading this, and I'm realizing that that's not the case. They hadn't completely turned their back on God because he says, How long will you halt between two opinions? How long will you halt, he said. How long will you go back and forth? Do you know what I think's happening? The people of God wanted to worship God, but they also wanted to worship Baal. The people of God wanted to, to to proclaim that they were the people of God, but they wanted to do what they wanted to do. You know what I've discovered? I've been pastoring now for over seventeen years, preaching for almost twenty five. You know what I figured out? It's deep theology. You ready? People do about what they want to do. People do about what they want to do. Here's the simple reality, folks. One of the reasons we find ourselves in places of discouragement, not always, but one of the reasons is because we want to serve God and enjoy our flesh at the same time. And it don't work that way. We want to to come to church and be a member of church and then when we're not in church, live any way we want to. That is a recipe for discouragement. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, uh, you try to live on the fence post, uh, the only thing you're going to get is a sore backside. You will not uh, be able to be engaged or encouraged. In fact, you're going to find yourself on the precipice of discouragement. And it is the response of the people that I think is most telling. Elijah starts with a question. What he gets is stone. Cold quietness. Look at the rest of that clause. Let's read the whole verse. 21. Elijah came into all the people and said, How long haunt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the next statement I think is staggering. The people answered him, not a word. Folks, these aren't the lost crowd. This is God's people. This aren't the Ammonites and the Ammonites and the Malachites and the Dudites and the Hurites and all the otherites. This is God's people. They've just been living a challenge. Do you really believe God is God? If so, step up. And they answered not a word. I believe sometimes in life, in fact, most times in life, we are presented with opportunities where the best solution is just to shut up. In fact, I think many of us could learn a few lessons in when to shut up. Say, hey, man, don't look at me crazy. I'm one of them. But there are also times when God presents opportunities where the answer is not to shut up but to step up. This was one of those times where somebody from God's people, somebody could have said, don't know what y'all going to do, but I'm going to quote Joshua. It's for me and my house. we serving God. Come on, youngins. Come on, wife. Come on, let's go. But nobody. Stone cold silence. I have to be honest with you. If I'm the preacher, that discourages me. I'm going to be blunt because one of the things I want you to walk out of here tonight is knowing your own trigger points. That's one of mine. When, when I, I can tell you, had I been Elijah, I would have looked around and said, you have got to be kidding me. Have you, not re- have you lost your ever-loving mind? Don't you remember what God did for you? Don't you recall where you've been? Don't you know what he's done for you? Don't you know the blessings he's poured out upon you? And none of you will step up? None of them did. And I'm going to say again, if I'm Elijah, that's my discouraging point right there. He Challenges the people. Challenges the potentate. And then it gets on. Because now he's about to challenge the prophets. He directs his attention now in verses 22, 23, and 24 to what I'm calling showtime. But I want to let you in on a secret. And I think I know why. What you're going to see in Elijah's own statement is the seed that the enemy uses to turn this victory into despair. Why? Because when Elijah said, Hey, y'all, who's going to work with me? Who's going to rally me? Who's going to stand with me and God? There's nobody. Here's what I want you to get from that, folks. You stepping up. And me stepping up might just be what somebody else needs to say, you know what, me too. But us stepping back and me stepping back might just be what the enemy needs to whisper into somebody else's ear, ain't nobody else doing it. Ain't nobody else trying to live for God. You don't need to either. I think what you're going to see from Elijah's own mouth happens because when he said... Who's on God's team? Nobody raised their hand. So he starts by addressing the people. Gets nowhere. He turns his attention now to the prophets. Showtime. We're going to lay it down right here, fellas. Look at what he says. Go to verse 22, if you would. Notice the tension. Remember, remember, he's just asked who will be counted, who's going to step up, who's on God's team, who's on the Lord's side, silence. Verse 22, and said, Elijah, to the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. Can we pause just a moment and say, Do you feel why he's discouraged? Does it make sense to you? I mean, I understand why he says it. By the way, he's wrong. He's wrong. In fact, when he gets really bad, and he gets really despondent, and he gets really depressed, uh, he tries to throw that up to God and say, there's nobody left but me. I'm paraphrasing. God said, are you kidding me? I got 7,000 preachers who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. But now the enemy starts working in his mind. Now the enemy's telling Elijah, there's nobody but you. You're in this by yourself. He claims to be just one against 450. And truth be told, it's 450 plus another 400. It's actually a total of 850. This is where the enemy lodges. I have this statement in my outline with about 20,000 exclamation points behind it because it's critical. His mind is telling him the wrong thing. Listen to what I'm about to say, church. Because the battle for discouragement happens between our ears. The battle for discouragement happens in our mind. And so, when people give some very foolish advice, it tends to go like this. Listen to your heart. Uh-uh. Because your heart is wicked according to Scripture. They'll say things like, You, you, you should just go with what your gut says. You can't go with your gut. You can't listen to your heart. You can't react by your emotions. You can't do whatever feels best. Why? Because the enemy will take the opportunity to get into all of those because those things aren't saved. Don't go with your gut. Go with God. Don't go with what your emotions tell you. Go with what God says about it. But in this moment... Elijah, and I'm going to be blunt, I'm not criticizing because I'd have been right there with him. If I'm the only one out of all of these people of God, I'd have been right there with him. But Elijah turns to the prophets and he lays down the terms. Look at verse 23. Let me therefore give us, this is still Elijah speaking, let me therefore give us two bullocks. And let them choose one for them bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and notice the next clause, put no fire under it. It's important. I'll explain in a moment. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods and I'll call on the name of the Lord and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. <laughs> and the same people who would not step up and say, yeah, we're on God's team. The same people uh, who would not answer Elijah's first question, boy, they chip in now. Now these same people answered and said, it is well spoken. What a good idea. What a brilliant idea. Why? Elijah lays out the challenge. Very simple. They're going to, in, in in Baal's home turf they're gonna take a bull slice it up put it on the altar and see who catches it ablaze I heard one great little story you know the rest of this probably where Elijah when it's his turn says put some water on it put some water on it do it again do it again and Sunday school teacher says to her little class, do you know why Elijah wanted all the water? And little little boy says, so they could make the gravy. Amen. Amen. Elijah says, put no fire under it. That's important. History records that the worship of Baal and pagan altars usually had a dugout underneath where a priest would hide and light a fire making it look like Baal had come down and lit the fire. Are you with me? It was all smoke and mirrors. It was a magic trick, an illusion. There'd be a priest up under there, and so when they would start hooping and hollering and praying, that priest would light it from below, and, whoa, look what the Baal's done, praise Baal. And all along there's some crazy nut underneath uh, who's lighting the fire. So, Elijah said, no fire underneath. Why did they agree to this? Why did this excite them? Here's what you should know. Baal was viewed as the god of life. He was a fertility god who was seen in the rain and the sun. They believed that he was responsible for life, but he hadn't been able to send rain in the last three and a half years, but surely he could send fire. I mean, it's 105 degrees outside, kind of like today. But it's been that way for three and a half years. Honey, I'm just telling you straight up, I'd have moved. I'd have moved to Alaska. I know it had not been discovered, but I'd have walked there. Three and a half years, he couldn't bring rain, but surely he could bring fire. You see, the worshipers of Baal believed he could be seen in the thunderheads. They also thought he could be seen in the sun itself. So when they looked into the sky and saw the bright burning sun overhead, they thought they were looking at Baal himself. So this was a a contest they thought they could win. You may be interested in knowing a little piece of tidbit information. The word that we call bonfire actually comes from Baal fire, a fire that supposedly Baal ignites. Had they been thinking... Listen carefully. Had they been thinking, they would have understood that Baal didn't appear in the fire, but Jehovah God did. They would remember that Jehovah God appeared in the burning bush. They would remember uh, that Jehovah God appeared on the fire of the altar uh, of the temple. They would have remembered that that the pillar of fire in the wilderness. And they would have remembered that God consumed a murmuring crowd with fire or that God had lit up the top of Mount Sinai with fire. Baal wasn't in the fire, but God was. And again, look if you would please at what I'm calling the tragedy. Look at verse 24, our last verse tonight. Call ye... On the name of your gods, I'll call on the name of the Lord. The God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And again, the last clause here, what I call the tragedy. People answered and said, it is well spoken. I think the great tragedy of this whole buildup of this story is that the people of God thought it was okay to test God. The people of God thought it was acceptable to really see what God could do. Let me close by this simple thought. Before we come down too harshly, maybe we should admit that sometimes we are just the same way. When we allow life and all of its distractions to crowd God out, we're just as guilty as they are when we come to the place where we wonder whether God really has it for us or whether it's really worth it to worship God, we're in bad shape. When God has to compete with other areas of our life for attention, then we're in the same spot these Israelites are in. So my question is, how did they get there? How did they get there? I'm going to ask you to think with me now. Close your Bibles. Close your Bibles. I want you to think with me. I want you to answer one question. You don't have to say it out loud. I don't want you to. What is your discouragement trigger? What is it? And it could be more than one. What is it? that triggers that, mm, I'm done. That, that spiritual discouragement where you think, I can't do this. I've already told you one of mine. If I'm Elijah's position, I'm, I'm already discouraged. Can I give you one more? For me, when I get overwhelmed, I get discouraged. When I look at everything I'm supposed to be doing at work and everything I'm supposed to be doing at church and everything I need to be doing with my wife and my children and everything that's falling apart at the house and I scan all of that and I think, I can't do this. This is too much. I get discouraged. And you know what I have to remind myself? Because I'll be right where Elijah is. You know I have to remind myself? I'm not by myself. I'm not by myself. And, and thank God. I don't just mean God. Thank God for that. But I'm not the only one at my church. I'm not the only one at my work. I'm not the only one in my family. In fact, I can get my daddy to do most of this. <laughs> but do you understand? In those moments of <gasps> the enemy gets right here. And please don't look at me crazy. Any preacher who tells you anything is a liar. <laughs> I don't mean to be unkind, but any preacher who says they don't get discouraged is just not being truthful. When I get to the point where it's just too much, it gets right here. What's your trigger? Because knowing your trigger is the only way to know how to walk away from your trigger. Because where your trigger is, is where the enemy wants to go, A couple of weeks. Man, we just we just got to the challenge now. We didn't even got to the contest. I mean it it gets on. And Elijah whoops some honey in through the power of God. But when it's all said and done, he's asking God to kill him. What's your trigger? Let's stand to our feet. What's your trigger? Mr. Renee, just play something quietly for us tonight. If you're here this evening and you want to just make your way to the altar, you can. This is open altar time. We don't we don't we don't have formal altar call on Wednesday nights. We just we just open it up. If you want to come pray, come pray. You can pray where you are. I encourage you to do that. I'm gonna dismiss this. And if you want to come pray here, you can. Father in heaven, there's a lot of topics that I've preached on through the years, Lord. I don't think any is more relevant or more pertinent than what we're looking at this summer. Lord, our communities are full of people who used to go to church, full of people who got discouraged walked away not on the battlefield anymore lord more often than not they've lost the joy of their salvation lord this core group of wednesday night these are the folks we're dependent upon Lord, we can't do the work of the church without the wednesday night crowd so lord my goal this summer is to not convince us to not be discouraged because that's silly. My goal this summer is to help us all figure out how we work through it and stay on the battlefield. Lord, I have no doubt that there are people right now who are on the precipice of discouragement. Lord, the enemy would love to come along and knock them off, remove them from the battlefield. So, Lord, it is my heartfelt desire that as we identify those things that can trigger our discouragement, that you equip us with that ability to look at that and say, greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for the folks that are so faithful. Lord, the the spirit that we feel here. And again, Lord, I'm asking that you take the request from tonight answer them. Give us the strength to accept your will. Begin preparing our hearts for Sunday for what you're going to do in the worship hour. We'll thank you and we'll praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.